Welcome to Strategy International, a podcast produced by PodMTL that brings you insightful conversations with experts from all over the world on topics related to international relations and policy, security, defense, environment, and much more. And now, your host, George Santrizos. Good day, everyone, and welcome to yet another episode of the Strategy International podcast. In case this is your first time, Strategy International is a global think tank and consulting uh, firm that uh, brings together great minds from all over the world that discuss, analyze, exchange uh, on different topics of uh, global interest. Um, And of course, you can visit www.strategyinternational.org to find out more of the beautiful work that is being done over there. Speaking of beautiful minds, we have another incredible guest uh, on this episode again uh, today. We have Dr. Najat Al-Sayed. She is an adjunct professor uh, at the American University in the Emirates, uh, specifically the College of Mass Media and Communications. She's a columnist at uh, Al-Itihad and a columnist in the Arab News. She's an expert in communications, crisis media management, political media, we're going to have a very interesting discussion today. Thank you so much for being on the program, Najat. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. We, uh, I know how busy you are and the fact that you're taking even a little bit of time to share with all our viewers and listeners, it is uh, really, really appreciated. Um, I want to jump right in because, you know, uh, we don't have that much time. And because of your expertise and your specializations, there's a lot of things happening uh, all over the world um, that you can maybe help bring light to. Um, specifically with respect to the social uh, media uh, and uh, to the importance that that whole uh, field has taken over the last couple of years. And I want to talk to you because, you know, you're in a part of the world that is obviously very much different from where I'm uh, from here in Canada. Um, We've been seeing over the last maybe five to eight years, um, you know, this polarization in social media. Um, we're definitely seeing it in the U.S. It's definitely spilling over here in Canada, where I'm at. Uh, we seem to be losing this middle ground where people would receive this information and would either research or question it and figure out whether it's, you know, it's the right information, whether it's the wrong information. There was always this kind of middle ground uh, where people would receive this information and not be so much critical about it. Um, It seems as though that has changed. There seems to be a trend where you're either in one camp or another. The middle ground is kind of melting away. Is this a global phenomenon uh, in your experience or is it unique to where I'm from here in the U.S. and in Canada? Um, uh, I believe this is a global uh, phenomenon. It's not only to the uh, to the U.S. and Canada, but the fact uh, that uh, that you are in the U.S. and Canada, and it is a f- uh, free world, and uh, because of the freedom of expression, and people are free to say what they want, you see it much more exposed uh, there than uh, than in the Middle East, where people are more uh, restricted. And what they write in the social media, because uh, because what uh, what they write in the social media, uh, they have to bear with the consequences mm. of what they write. Uh, but it is a global uh, a, a global phenomenon. Uh, however, let me tear t- uh, tell you what's going on. Uh, first of all, in the social media in the U.S. and Canada. Uh, but before we go to the social media, let's. Let's uh, let's uh, see what's going on in the traditional media, and then well, how this is uh, uh, actually reflected in the in the social media. This, um, unfortunately, what is happening currently, but um, actually it was happening years ago, but now to a much larger scale. Uh, that uh, that the traditional media is becoming so uh, partisan that uh, when you all turn on the tv or the uh, or even the new, uh, the mainstream media in general wh- whether it is the press whether it is the tv the radio station you can tell from the very beginning w- and to which party this mm. uh, uh, this media is uh, belong to uh, from from the tone from the uh, uh, agenda setting uh, from uh, everything uh, so the same news exactly exactly the way it is presented uh, and this news station, for example, is totally different than this news station. That wasn't 
much much explicit uh, or much clear apparent uh, in the 80s and in the 70s it was there but not to that uh, to not to that scale now it is so so clear for example if you turn on any any news on fox news and you turn on the you want to watch uh, and uh, hear about the same news on the cnn uh, or like msnbc it will it is totally different presented mm-hmm. now let us see how this is presented in the social media because but whatever is happening in the in the in the in the traditional media and also in the political arena. So what is happening in the political arena is actually reflected in the media, in the mainstream media. And what is happening in the in the in the in the mainstream media is actually reflected in the social media and vice versa. And also it is reflected in the society. So so that's so you see even the social media is divided. Mm-hmm. Uh, is 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 divided and is so uh, and is so um, it is it is there in front of you. You can see those to the right and you see those to the to the left. And everybody is like withholding on on the on that certain uh, idea. And you couldn't convince whatever. And I can see it. So so even though I'm miles away from North America, but it is so clear from here. Mm-hmm. This is how uh, this is how I uh, I see it, and you couldn't even when I rarely respond, but I can get attacked. Uh, they they you there's no uh, even um, they, there's no even acceptance of the other view. While mm-hmm. uh, while it's supposed to be a free country, you ac- you have to accept the other uh, other views, but it's, there's no acceptance either. Either it's my way or the highway. Uh, if you're if not accepting my my way, if if, I, if you are like dealing with the liberals, you are uh, you are racist, uh, you are misogynist. Even if you are a woman, you're Islamophobic. Even if you're Muslim, uh, so that's how it how it goes. Uh, and uh, and oh, and if you are, for example, dealing with the right side, oh, you are not patriotic enough. You don't care about uh, the. Uh, the country you want to open the borders you, so it is from both sides uh, uh, actually happening I wanna, uh, I, when it, yeah go ahead go ahead yeah when it comes to the middle east for example especially after what is called the arab spring uh, it is also divided between uh between those uh who are i'm not gonna call it liberal and the summit i'm, I'm gonna call it like those who are uh against the islamists and those who are um, not to to that extent. So uh, so for example, now even with the current issue of Sudan, okay. So people uh, like like pro uh, Al Burhan, for example, and uh, and uh, for, for example, uh, and whoever is uh, is supporting him, which is mainly uh, the Islamists or the Muslim Brotherhood, and those who are more with the civil uh, civil uh, civil rights. And uh, and the other side, so it's also divided, but from another kind of uh, perspective. So you see the division in both worlds, whether in the West or in the Middle East, mm-hmm. in the East. So this what? is the div- and it is reflected in the social media, unfortunately. I, I, I want to get to that, uh, especially with the role that you have as a columnist, and you know the impact that that can have on someone like uh, like yourself. But before that, I just want to go back to what you're saying with the, with the, with the media back in the '80s, and it's true. And I also have to say that the access to information is much more uh, uh has increased much more i remember when i was a kid we only had a number you know a handful of stations that we can that we can follow the news and now it's available in the palm of your hands right and it's not necessarily a journalist it could be somebody on the ground like the information travels so much quicker uh and perhaps that has something to do with it but i want to i want to link that to the job that you do obviously you're an academic you're you're um you're an author but you also comment. You're a commentator. You're on the news quite often as well. How does that have an impact on you? I mean, do you have to keep in mind of all these things happening while you're while you're engaging in this uh, in this vocation in this profession, or do you tell yourself, "I'm here to give the information, to give my opinion, uh, and whatever happens, happens." No, uh, of course I have to keep that in mind uh, because I will never forget that I am uh, I am academic. 
I am a researcher because uh, because I, my first job is not I'm, um, it's not a journalist. I'm an op-ed writer, mm-hmm. and when I write, I write as a researcher, not as a reporter or a journalist. What if what if here. what if your opinion goes against the the mainstream uh, uh, trend? Well, it it always goes against the mainstream trend. <laughs> <laughs> Most of the time, it goes. That's why I I'm I'm not that uh, you know I'm not favored to many. Yeah. Uh, so, uh, but I have to put it, and I have to prove it, and and I have to say why. Uh, I'm not here to satisfy people, and at the same time, I'm not here to uh, to widespread controversial ideas to get popular. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm here uh, to uh, to put ideas that are based on the theories that I put and the studies that I put, but I put it in an easy way for the public to understand. So basically, uh, w- uh, that's why I write for newspapers in order to make whatever I write for the, my studies easy for the public uh, to understand. So I I write for both. Uh, so here. Um, some people say why you were so enthusiastic about uh, about the Abraham Accord. One of uh, one of the uh, one of the reasons uh, that I was uh, I was enthusiastic about it. Okay, besides you know uh, having um, a, a more options and getting out of the uh, box of solving the the everlasting uh, uh, conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians, but one of it is the the uh, the the media, the mm-hmm. polarization of the media. That's why my book is called Twitter Diplomacy: Media Polarization Before and After the Abraham Accord. Mm. So I studied uh, to what extent Twitter diplomacy can play a role to combat the media polarization in the U.S. and the U.K. media. And then the finding of the book uh, shows that it, uh, Twitter diplomacy is not sufficient. It's not like it's, it's not uh, it's not working at all, but it's not sufficient due to the extent of the high polarization of the media. It can play a role, but it's not sufficient. So accordingly, we need to have more tools of public diplomacy to combat uh, to the media polarization. It's, One of it yeah. is media alliances among the Abraham Accord countries. So that's why I was enthusiastic about it because of the media. I want to come back to the to the region because you also wrote an interesting article that I want to discuss with you uh, in the Arab News, not, uh, I think, last week, the changing dynamics of global power. We're going to talk a little bit about that. But because you mentioned Twitter and because you're a specialist in social media and in, uh, in the politics of media, um, I want to ask, and maybe it's related to even, I haven't read your book, but maybe there's a, there's a link to that as well. Ever since Elon Musk took over uh, Twitter, there's been this uproar of either people that are for it or against it. You have a lot of personalities that have left the platform. Um, obviously, you, you don't follow the, 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 the micro politics of what's happening here, but uh, there's been some... Um, uh, there's been some controversial uh, elements, for example, in government-funded media in in Canada and in the U.S. that Elon Musk uh, put uh, uh, under the, the 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 handle, like NPR, uh, CBC Canada, for example, and he put um, you know uh, government-funded media. And in Twitter's policy, government-funded media is described as uh, a media that uh, promotes government propaganda, in which yeah, case, I'm, uh, you know, it's not really accurate. I mean, every country in the world has state-funded media uh, to promote local uh, content, right? And in that content, obviously, there, there, there's the news content. But um, how do you see you know, the next months or the next years in Twitter uh, with all these recent changes and decisions that tend to also be very polarized that have made certain people flee the the, um, the platform, other people adopt it, which have more, you know, extremist uh, views. How do you how do you see this platform growing? Well, um, with the new uh, principles of uh, Twitter, like, for example, like the verification uh, before, it's like um, once you are uh, like celebrity that have uh, that has like certain uh, followers, you can get the verification. Now you have to pay the 
uh, $8 fee in order to be verified. This is one of the things, and a lot of people, uh, a lot of celebrities lost their verification due to that. Uh, the, one of the things that uh, you have mentioned now, uh, some people who were blocked were uh, were expecting to get, to be unblocked, but they 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 haven't uh, they haven't got that. Uh, so um, a lot of uh, people were uh, like uh, adopting the uh, look. Any change, any change that happens, um, uh, like uh, over a sudden, uh, it will take time to get adopted, because the Twitter was like this for like uh, tw Twitter was launched since two thousand six, and since two thousand six it was like this. Elon Musk, when he when he was like uh, he, you know when he was in charge, he was like in charge like what just recently. In order to people to, to get adapted to that, that will take time. Some people will like it, will love it because uh, because they he put people he he make like kind of equity. Uh, some people see it like this. Some people know they lose uh, they lost the privilege that they had before. So it will take time to get uh, to get uh, to to get adapted. So he himself. Will gain more experience because uh, even though you are like uh, you you have experience in the social me media, but when you are in charge of that, it's different, and the, the, you, we will we will uh, we will see more and more changes with that. And some pe uh, and he will learn from his mistakes until he uh, and he until he will fix it to the uh, to the right track. But it won't get like this from the right from the first time. He will do mistakes. Some people, uh, some people, and he will do some good things. Uh, some people will like it. Some people will dislike it. Whoever get to, get it into their favors will like it. Who will, who will, and the others who will, uh, who will not get it into their favors will dislike it. And but the main thing, the main thing, everything should be uh, worked strategically. If uh, nothing should be haphazard, if things will be working through strategic communication. And not and not haphazardly and through strategic communication and through really uh, through business minded, yeah, that that and at the end at the end it will be successful. Mm -hmm. But uh, but uh, and it shouldn't be under one man decision, of course. Uh, but uh, at the end that will be successful. But so far, so far until now, people love it, uh, especially those who are into politics and to government. It is still number one usage to uh, politics and government and diplomats. That's why I use it for my book, because it was basically for government, for government leaders and political leaders and diplomats. So definitely until now, there is no other social media platform competitor to Twitter uh, for government, for political leaders and diplomats and uh, and uh, and um, and other government uh, agencies uh, so um, so that's why it it um, it doesn't have a competitor mm -hmm. so far and so, as long as you are you don't have competitor you're the winner <laughs> so far well it's definitely my source uh, I, I i i'm very often on on twitter it's the most uh, rapid way for me to get access to my news um and i'm just curious to see how it will develop let's get on to that article because uh, there's there's a lot of very interesting content in this article. You touch uh, you touch a lot on recent um, uh, happenings all over the world, uh, where we see the shift in global influence uh, and in the countries that are getting that influence, specifically U.S. and China. Um, you reference in in this article uh, a recent lecture that was given by William Burns, who's the director of the CIA. Uh, during which he accepted the fact that the U.S. is kind of losing a little bit its uh, global influence to China. <clears throat> and uh, you say that, you know, the, the global stage is no longer do dominated solely by the U.S. And I was just curious, was this ever the case? Was the U.S. always kind of this sole influence globally or was there always this counterbalance? Well, it was uh, it was uh, it was always, um, especially after the collapse of the Soviet U Union, it was the sole power and the super uh, the superpower. Now, uh, as we uh, we can see, it is more shifting. The paradigm is shifting to multipolar uh, world, uh, um, as you see now. Um, and uh, and the U.S. itself said it's going to move to the region. So there there's a space now. 
when a big power like the U.S. said, I'm going to be shifting and moving from the region, there, there, there's going to be a, a, like a, a space here. It's going to be vacant. And who's going to uh, who's going to fill this space? Definitely another superpower or another power. I'm not going to say superpower like China, mm-hmm. emerging power. Okay, so uh, so it filled it filled the space. Uh, now, uh, as we see, uh, the U.S. is so much occupied with the with the war and uh, the uh, the crisis in Ukraine. Yeah, and uh, and uh, also with the, with China and the Taiwan. So um, and th- this is, by the way, one of the main motivation of uh, United Arab Emirates and Bahrain to make uh, this kind of uh, peace treaty with Israel. Because they notice very well that uh, that the United States wants to pull over from the region, mm-hmm. so they said it is better for uh, for us to collaborate and solve our conflicts since the, this is this is the intention uh, of the United States. And by the way, the, uh, this is the intention of the United States from both parties, the Democrats and the Republican, want to, uh, wants to move and shift. Mm-hmm. from the region and they want to focus on other uh other continents and other regions so that's why they may they want to be more responsible of solving their own conflicts as you see like th- that's what also uh encouraged saudi arabia to resolve its issues with iran uh that's why they want to solve their the issues with syria uh that's why they uh they want to solve them the matters with uh, with qatar uh, resolve the crisis with uh, with Qatar. So now they are here. Now they are in the stage before they were more dependent on the United States to solve to solve for them their conflicts. Now they want to more to be more dependent on themselves to resolve their conflicts. Mm-hmm. So uh, so otherwise they will be in on eternal conflicts forever, and that will be chaotic. Especially the uh, the Arab Gulf countries are con- are countries that into development. Into their prosperity of their uh, people, uh, being in co- in a continuous conflict that will draw, withdraw them back economically and uh, financially, and they don't, they are not into that. Mm-hmm. Those countries, their uh, their their stability is actually um, maintained by the prosperity of their country economically, and uh, that that's how they they maintain the uh, the the stability of their people. Uh, by by the economy uh, by the economic stability. That's why they are into resolving the conflicts, resolving the conflicts. Uh, so, do you that, think that's, it, do you think it's fair to say that this conflict in Eastern Europe between Russia and Ukraine is is probably what brought to the surface, or you know, the conflict that uh, accelerated this notion, you know, these components of multipolarity. Uh, and the example that you gave, obviously, was immediately when this conflict started, you had this Western alliance against Russia. And then we started seeing countries that didn't really take a position or maybe until recently. Uh, and their position was always in their self-interest. Why should we follow the West? Why should we follow Russia? We're going to follow what our own interests are. And that was the position that India took, for example, the position that Brazil took. Obviously, we know the position China took. Uh, we've been following recently the, the different meetings that have been held between uh, uh, you know the Russian uh, president Vladimir Putin. And uh, we're going to talk a little bit with the French president as well, because that's interesting. Uh, Turkey also in the region is trying to attempt its own influence. Um, do you think it's fair to say that 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 conflict, aside from the fact that it unbalanced so many things worldwide, it brought to the surface this notion of multipolarity where now we're aware that, you know, where, where countries are positioned uh, with respect to the to to, um, to to the alliances that they've made? Uh, definitely, yes, because uh, actually, personally, uh, through the analysis that I have written in many articles and many studies, I myself was uh, honestly surprised because when the when the Biden administration came, the first thing that they said they're gonna be using the maximum uh, the maximum diplomacy and the maximum soft soft power, uh, on, uh, which is uh, the opposite uh, uh, to the Trump administration that used the maximum pressure, especially towards Iran. Mm-hmm. So you expect that uh, that uh, an administration that will that is saying that even before winning the election, 
to use all their diplomatic tools before starting a war or encouraging for a war. Most of the countries in the region here, and I believe even uh, the countries in the in the East, uh, including India, including even Latin countries like Brazil and others, and some of, some of them have uh, were explicit. Some of them didn't even uh, uh, it didn't even mention that explicitly. Uh, they didn't see the U.S. used, uh, especially this administration, I'm not going to say the U.S. Uh, in general, uh, used all its diplomatic tools to prevent this war. Mm-hmm. You said from the beginning, I want to use the diplomatic uh, uh, the, the diplomatic pressure. Uh, the, the, I want to use the maximum uh, maximum diplomacy. Show us the maximum diplomacy to, to prevent this war. We just finished from COVID nineteen for for God's sake. Mm-hmm. The world is is in pain economically, so we you, you have to use all all your maximum dipl- diplomatic tools to prevent this war. H- has the U.S. used all the its diplomatic tools to prevent uh, its uh, its diplomatic uh, the, all its diplomatic tools to prevent this war? A lot of countries didn't see that. A mm. lot, a yeah. lot. Well, so that's why they are reluctant to uh, to uh, to join this war because they see it, it it could be preventable especially as i said they the 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 whole countries were affected by the covid-19 economically they don't want to go through other kind of war um you know to to damage them economy, economically even more and look look what happened even the european countries couldn't stand it we saw what happened. Even uh, the, you know, the attitude of uh, the reaction of the uh, the French president. He mm-hmm. himself went to China asking for help to stop this war. The, the European couldn't stand it, couldn't handle it. They need to. They are asking to stop this war. If the Europeans are uh, like, uh, uh, you know, are asking the Chinese to stop it, and they are considered like almost rivals to the to China. So how can they can blame uh, Arab countries or the Gulf or or India or the, or Brazil, uh, you know, of uh, of not joining or being reluctant, yeah, you know, because wars are not easy, and we see we see what's what's the damage of the wars economically, and at the end at the end after the war, you ask for peace agreements. So why you don't avoid it from the beginning? And what happened? What happened? If you want to weaken, uh, if if the ultimate result of this war to weaken um, to weaken Putin, at the end you may you you made him weaken uh, in front of uh, in front of the Chinese president, uh, uh, you know as the uh, the CIA director has said, he said he it, it, uh, Russia became uh, like almost economic colony to China. Mm-hmm. So you weakened you weakened and uh, you know the ultimate the, the final result of this war. That Russia became weak to China, so here we strengthened China, and uh, that what happened through this war, that China becomes strengthened. Uh, first of all, it, uh, Russia became like economic co- colony to China. Secondly, as you see, China has shifted from economic power to diplomatic and political power. China was never a, me- a political mediator. Now we saw it. Uh, like how it became political and diplomatic de- uh, mediator in the in the Saudi Iranian uh, agreement, uh, China also proposed to mediate between the Israelis and the Palestinians. Something that was honestly, to me, was shocking. Even though it will be hard, you know, it's uh, challenging for the Chinese. But it's still, the fact that the Chinese proposed something like like that, to me, it was honestly shocking. You what and I, that you shows you. Yeah, uh, shows you how it beca- becoming uh, China is becoming more and more uh, political player well, globally. That, that that's exactly what I find interesting because to go back to what you're saying about the Biden administration, almost from the very beginning, their policy was to withdraw from the Middle East and to focus much more on Asia and on diminishing China's growing influence. And what ended up happening is that with the U.S. withdrawal of the Middle East and and we saw that that presence had a deep effect. You mentioned the Abraham Accords, which the Trump administration uh, put into effect. As soon as the U.S. started pulling out of the Middle East, uh, we saw the disaster that happened in Afghanistan, obviously. But then China moves in 
And they, uh, they, they, they put in place this agreement to reestablish political ties and diplomatic ties between Saudi Arabia and Iran, something that very few people even expected. And they're slowly, because of this move, trying to gain some ground in that region. Do you think that this is going to force the U.S. to come back? Uh, or is China there going to establish its role as uh, you know the, the the main influence uh, for that region. So far, I what I see that China has already put its foot there, and uh, and uh, and there's the the main the main uh, the main prince uh, the main factor of building uh, um, a good relationship in, in terms of international relationship is internal uh, is the trustworthy, mm-hmm. and China. China has built this uh, trustworthiness between between the uh, between the uh, between uh, between uh, between it uh, between China and and uh, the Arab world, specifically the uh, the the Arab Gulf countries. So honestly, in this uh, in this uh, agreement between between Iran and Saudi Arabia, to me, what 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 is really uh, what what is really fasc- fascinating here is not uh, the agreement between Saudi Arabia and Iran as much as the mediator, uh, the Ch- uh, uh, China, mm-hmm. China here. So if it is not China, I assure you, if it's not if it is if China wasn't the mediator, I assure you, Saudi Arabia will never ever make it. Mm-hmm. How, what kind okay? of impact? What kind and of here impact? we ask why, yeah. why? Why? Why Saudi Arabia trusted China that much? Mm-hmm. Okay, because uh, because uh, because of the pre- the principles that China withhold as uh, as as integrity, as uh, as uh, non-aggression, non-violence, as uh, as non uh, non uh, non interference in the internal affairs. This is very important as uh, as uh, as uh, being pragmatic, not ideological. This is uh, all of these are very imp- important principles of a country to withhold. So that's why they they gained the trust of the Arab Gulf countries. On the top of it is Saudi Arabia. Mm-hmm. That's why Saudi Arabia was encouraged to make this agreement, even though regardless of all the conflicts between Saudi Arabia and Iran. But they because of China is in the middle, they trusted uh, they trusted uh, to go forward and make this uh, deal. The other thing I want to highlight here. What damaged the foreign policy of the United States, okay? And I keep saying that over and over again in my articles, in my studies, in my book. I said, please, 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 the United States have to be careful about that. The lack of consistency in the foreign policy will damage any foreign policy in any country. If you compare... The, the foreign policy of, of China comparing to the United States, the China is always consistent in its foreign policy. While in the U.S., you see, for example, the previous uh, Trump administration has certain foreign policy, then the Biden administration has another foreign policy. And before the uh, the, the Biden, uh, before the Trump administration, the Biden administration has. One is pro-Islamist, one is against the Islamists. One is pro the Iranian deal, one is against the Iranian deal. So how come as a, as a country will put my hand with, with you? I might, I might make an agreement now and maybe another administration will come after four years and will change, change everything. So that will shake the trust. And accordingly, and accordingly, I, I, it's not reliable relationship. Mm-hmm. Well, obviously, and this is very dangerous. Yeah. Obviously Very dangerous. The, yeah, obviously the changes in, uh, in my opinion, obviously the changes in, in 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 American diplomacy have a direct relation to the fact that there's, you know, democratically elected governments every four years or every eight years, which isn't necessarily the case for China. So it's very easy to talk about China maintaining a consistency in its policy when it's this when it's coming from you know the same kind of government versus the U.S. that has governments on rotation, whether it's Republicans not, or don't Democrats. Don't misunderstand me, George. I'm not here being anti-democracy. I'm not here a pro the Chinese system. I'm here, I'm, I, I, you know, what I say, there must be bipartisan agreements, especially to foreign policy, especially to turmoil region like the Middle East. 
100%. You couldn't. Yeah. Like, like I saw it myself when I visited the United States. I visited a lot of governmental agencies. I visited universities. I visited the Congress. I visited many places. A lot, a lot want just to make the Abraham Accord fail. They want, they want the Abraham Accord to fail only because it is done by the Trump administration. Right. They reach to that point. But tell me something, what Najat. What happens? What happens now in the region? Because I I saw the Abraham Accord as a success as well, but with China coming in now uh, and initiating this, I mean, we don't know where it's going. It's going to lead, right? I mean, it's still the it's still we're still at the very early stages between um, Saudi Arabia and Iran, and we're only talking uh, to the level of reestablishing diplomatic ties. So we don't know where it's going to go, but. Do you think that that's going to have a direct impact on the Abraham Accords? Do you think that's going to clash? Uh, 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 what what will clash the Abraham Accord now? No, the the the, the U.S. The, the Abraham Accords versus the the very recent uh, agreement between uh, Iran and and Saudi Arabia. Do you think those are two forces that are going to clash? Well, uh, that's what I keep saying to a lot of uh, Israeli officials, even in my last interview at uh, um, in my last contribution to I-24 uh, just, um, you know, yesterday. You know, the problem when it comes to a peace agreement uh, with the, uh, Saudi Arabia specifically, there is nothing, uh, you know, at all related with uh, with Iran. Iran is not revolved around that at all. Whether there's an agreement, no agreement, whether there's a, a peace agreement with Iran, whether there's a conflict with Iran, you know, the, the Abraham Accord or the peace agreement, uh, you know, between Saudi Arabia and Israel, Iran is not related to that at all. Saudi Arabia is so clear about that. Say, it's saying over and over again through the foreign ministry, its foreign ministry is saying no peace agreement at all without the two-state solution. Mm -hmm. So resolve your issue with the Palestinians and I will do with you the agreement. Before mm -hmm. that, I will never do the agreement. It is very clear. Uh, we, we want to go back to the agreement of the 2002 agreement, okay, of the two-state solution. And once this is resolved, I will make with you agreement. Other than that, no. So don't put Iran in the middle. Whether there's an agreement with Iran, whether there's a conflict with Iran, Iran is not revolved around that at all. Mm -hmm. So I, that's why I was surprised. It's, it's puzzling with me why they're putting Iran in the middle here. So it doesn't matter. Even if we have war with Iran, it's still there's not going to be agreement without resolving the Palestinian-Israeli right, issue. Right, right. This is number one. And Saudi Arabia was so clear about it. <laughs> so uh that's the main thing. I want to talk to you a little bit about the French president. Um, he visited China uh, and then to, to many people's surprise, he came out of that meeting stating that Europe needs to distance itself from uh, from the U.S. and to be maybe not distance itself from the U.S., but to be uh, solely dependent on the U.S. and that Europe needs to become more sovereign in its decisions rather than to rely exclusively um, uh, on the U.S. How do you how do you, how do you see that? What what, do you, what are your thoughts on that? Uh, and if to many that was uh, a surprised statement, but in your article you write that there seem to be many other European uh, nations that um, that seem to be aligned with that uh, with that mentality with that uh, with that statement. Honestly, I was expecting that from day one. Mm -hmm. uh, the first question that I ask: What the Europeans are gaining out of that? Mm -hmm. Uh, I was expecting that because when you are dealing with uh, this is, you know, ABC international relations, you, you have to depend on mutual interests. You know, look, I am American. I'm dual citizen. I'm American uh, Saudi and the United States is everything. Uh, you know, I care about the United States. I care about its interests, but I, I also want the United States to develop a good foreign policy. Okay. Uh, you, the, you, there must be, you know, good foreign policy that maintain the interests of the United States and the interests of the other countries, including the Europeans. When when I am, my economy is sinking, and uh, the oil prices are getting high, and I have people that, that are protesting, especially that European countries are democratic countries; they couldn't shut uh, up the people over there. 
uh, you know, the taxes are getting high, the, the prices, the food prices are high, the lack of employment due to because due because of the uh, the impact of the war. So what I'm gaining, this is the impact of the wrong decision. I am here collaborating with you. I, I worked with you, but it, things are not working well. So accordingly, if I'm not developing good strategy that care about my interests and your and uh, your interests, then after that I will I will ask I will seek for my own autonomy. Mm-hmm. That's why uh, you know I was expecting you know somebody from the European Union to say something like this. So it was something expected. So that's why the whole war issue should be calculated in a much more sophisticated way from the very beginning. Um, that's uh, that's how I see it, you know, building mutual interests. When you go to something like this, you have to calculate it very, very punctually mm-hmm. for, from every angle. Because if you miscalculate uh, calculate it, you will end up with such result like this. Mm-hmm. Of course, it remains to be seen. Uh, you know what kind of impact china uh, could have especially in europe but if we if we look carefully um into china's positioning we saw what they did uh with with russia i mean they they they're holding pretty much the, you know they're at an advantage position over here we just spoke about their um their influence now in the middle east where they're they pretty much took over if you want from the us influence uh, they're probably hoping through Macron to sway more European leaders uh, favorably towards China. Uh, let's not forget that over the last 10 to 15 years, China China has made has increased their investments in Europe and has become a very valuable uh, economic partner as well. In the possibility of succeeding at a ceasefire between Russia and Ukraine, or even you know a peace negotiation, that would pretty much mean that the U.S. is sidelined pretty much, right? I mean, the, the the big question that remains is how does the U.S. bounce back and how does the U.S. reassert its influence and, 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 and maintain its reputation globally? Well, um, you know, they they have to maintain their, you know, to me, um, like, uh, like catching up the mistakes from the very beginning rather than waiting uh, at 20 years and then after that you catch the mistake to me if they catch up the mistake and do a peace uh, try to do a peace agreement from now better than ending up like what happened with Afghanistan mm-hmm. this is like, like like I don't want the same thing that, that happened in Afghanistan I see it in uh, in Ukraine like what happened in Afghanistan is a disaster mm-hmm. honestly mm-hmm. with such a withdrawal and ending up giving the power to the same people that you declared the war up on mm-hmm. okay and uh, and uh, and there must be there must be an agreement uh of, of that i'm not saying what happened in ukraine is something um as something uh, you know um something that we we support we are all against the invasion okay and we uh, all the all the region here condemned the invasion of russia to ukraine but let us be realistic, you know. There are people in Ukraine who are pro-Putin, and there are uh, there are p- people in Ukraine who are pro-Europeans and uh, and the U.S. The country, unfortunately, is divided. So when you the, this is you have to be transparent in your analysis, and here comes the media. So playing propaganda in the media and not showing the tra- transparent reality. That will end up into disaster because at the end you are deceiving yourself. You have to be transparent and showing the the reality because at the end you will you will pay the price. Show us who are pro and who are against, because we don't want to keep like this war going and always going on and on and again. We don't want this war to be an open stage forever. So so unfortunately, sometimes when I go to the not to Twitter the writing. Those uh, debates, uh, the what do you call it, the debates on Twitter, I, I gain more uh, more transparent uh, information through the to the to the talks in the with, with the space and uh, on Twitter much more than what I see mm-hmm. in the unfortunately the traditional media right. because over there it's more propaganda. Well, and usually in Mars, 
uh, propaganda started actually in war times. So you have to be transparent. So we know who are pro, who are against, who are like with, with uh, in order to divide this thing and ended it, uh, it up. So that's that's the main thing. And there's no harm to catch up the mistakes from the very beginning, rather than waiting for 10, 15 years and say, I was mistaken, like what happened in Iraq, like what happened in Afghanistan, because this is damaging. Mm -hmm. This is damaging to to everybody. The time is is running out and I I wish we had more of it, but I just want to go back to one thing that you mentioned before and that you also read in your article about China's approach to foreign relations and how it's rooted in principles uh, such as mutual respect for sovereignty, territorial integrity, non-aggression, non-violence, non-interference. Out of curiosity, and I'm not sure if you're citing anyone here, uh, but I'm just curious to know how much of that you think is true with regards to what's happening right now in in Taiwan, China's China's stance uh, in Taiwan. We've all followed recently. There was a military exercises. I'm just wondering if it's a coincidence. We saw there was a there was a meeting between the Chinese president and the Russian president. Following that, he met with Macron, uh, probably wanting to get the European um, uh, a support. And then we see the military exercise in front of Taiwan. What do you think is next? What what's going to come next in that region? Well, uh, Taiwan is a different issue because Taiwan is considered to, to China as part of the, its sovereignty. It's not like a foreign country that it's, uh, it's the leading part of its foreign policy. So I couldn't compare the relationship between China and Taiwan as the relationship between China and the and the Gulf, for example. It's totally different. So th- that's a different issue. But regardless, in general, to wrap this up, uh, you know, uh, after what all what what, what happened. To me, I'm I'm not in favor, by the way, in China to be the superpower. By the mm-hmm. way, regard regardless of what what is happening, to 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 you know to the favor of of the whole world, you know, multipolar world is the is, is the best is the best thing for everybody. The United States, nobody, nobody, regardless of all what is saying, nobody can say we want to uh, detach from the United States. Yeah, but to me, the main the main thing that needs to be happening uh, before changing in the foreign policy, there must be bipartisan agreement in the United States, and and the, the change has to be domestically between the parties uh, the the parties within the United States. But uh, United the United States, uh, our our you know our dependency uh, and our uh, our relationship started with the United States, our cultural. Uh, relationship with the United States. Our education is with the United States. The language that we speak will always be English, the widespread language. It will never be Chinese. Uh, the, the culture, the language, the education, the innovation that we're using. Oh, look, the Zoom, the whole IT technology that we're using is still coming from the United States. Don't tell me that we are going to give up the United States and substitute it by China. China. United States will still be the United States, regardless of what's, uh, what's happening. There are some things that need to be modified. Yes, there are challenges, but, uh, but uh, still... That we need balances. Uh, We need, uh, but it was the United States' uh, decision to withdraw from the region. It wasn't the region's uh, decision. So when it jumped from the region, somebody else uh, took its place. But doesn't mean that we, um, that regardless of its decision, it will still be there, and it will always be needed. Uh, That's that's how I see it. Uh, no matter how much the United States will be saying, I will draw from the region, I will withdraw from the region. It will never withdraw from the region, no matter what. The oil is there. The the uh, the natural uh, the natural interest is there. So uh, so how come it will d- withdraw from the region? Um, the, like uh, look what happened when when it, when the Ukraine uh, Ukraine Russian uh, Russia war. You know, Biden visited visited the, the region, asking uh, asking for the inc- increase of the production uh, of of the oil, asking for the 
uh, for the OPEC plus uh, countries uh, to collaborate. So it couldn't withdraw from the region no matter what. If it is not for, for the political purpose, it is for the economic uh, purpose. Mm-hmm. So, um, uh, so it, it you know, it is not realistic to say uh, it's going to withdraw from the region. I want to remind everyone your latest book, Twitter Diplomacy, Media Polarization Before and After the Abraham Accords. Um, Dr. Uh, uh, Asayed, thank you so much for coming on. Just before we leave, is there anything that you're currently working on or anywhere where people can follow you uh, in order to uh, keep uh, updated on uh, the, the, the beautiful things that you're doing? Uh, well, um, uh, um, they can follow me on the social media. I'm on uh, active on the Twitter. Uh, I have uh, my social media in uh, uh, Facebook. It is connected to an Instagram. Uh, so I'm active in all the so and uh, I'm active also in LinkedIn. Uh, so they can follow me in LinkedIn I, uh, over there. Um, I don't have any opinion. It's uh, my uh, articles, my studies, everything is there. Uh, currently, I'm working on a research paper called uh, uh, called uh, the the effectiveness of uh, digital uh, digital uh, humanitarian and health diplomacy among adversarial states. So this is currently what uh, I'm working on uh, currently, besides my other work. Very nice. Looking forward to uh, to reading that. Again, reminding everyone that is interested, they can visit www.strategyinternational.org for any information related to Strategy International. Uh, and we'll be sure to put in all your uh, social media handles in the description for everyone that wants to follow uh, the work that you do. Again, thank you so very much uh, for doing this. Really appreciate it. Uh, I hope you have a great day and uh, we will see you all in the next episode of Strategy International. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Strategy International podcast. Produced by PodMTL for Strategy International. Feel free to subscribe, rate, and review it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or anywhere fine podcasts can be found. This podcast is made for Strategy International Limited Cyprus. All copyrights reserved. This podcast, audio or audiovisual, may not be reproduced, duplicated, copied, sold, resold, visited, or otherwise exploited for any commercial, scientific, educational purpose without the written consent of Strategy International Limited and its legal representative.